that are seated, will you just extend your hands to them? We're going to pray for all the dads right here. Because if there's ever an office, when I say office, I mean a position that a person holds within life that is under siege or attack, it would be the role of a father. And it is so significant, the role of a dad. Some of you are new dads. Some of you are longstanding fathers. You've, you've had many, many children. Some of you feel like you've, you've failed. You could have done better. Some of you are scared of what's ahead. Some of you are right in the middle of it, like to kill your kids. Um, there's a lot of different seasons that we're in right now. So let's just, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes as a point of focus, standing our hands to these fathers. In Jesus' name, I come to you, Father God, the, the great Father, Abba Father, our dad. The best role model, the person that, uh, that sometimes we don't see because of our own dad. Sometimes our own father skews our vision of you, Father God. I pray that we see you right this morning. But I, I, I ask that you would bestow upon each one of these men just a special blessing and favor today. Encourage them and edify them in their office as fathers, as dads with their children. Lord, where there's brokenness, I pray, Lord, for healing. Where there is separation, I pray, Lord God, that you would reconcile. Where there are differences, Lord, and divisions, I pray that you would unite, God. Where there are difficulties and, and stresses and, and challenges, I pray that you would grant wisdom and that you would, your word says that if anybody lacks it, we can ask of God who gives generously. Lord, I pray for heavenly wisdom. Lord, that's beyond their experience, their knowledge, and, 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 and their years in this life. And it's beyond, you know, their ability, you know, and things that they've done well, Lord. It's beyond that. It's, it's based on your ability and your competence and your your, your, um, your wisdom, God. I pray for each father that's here that, that feels less than. I pray that they realize they're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who's given them strength, Lord. I pray that you equip them, Lord God, because they're, they're sowing to the spirit this morning. They're not just sowing to the flesh and they're not just sowing to the mind. They're sowing to the spirit. They're being fed and being nursed and being strengthened so they can go back into their world and lead their families. That leadership stamp that's on every man in this room is significant. And I pray, Lord God, that, that you would make them aware of how significant their role is in the world today, how significant their role is in their marriage, how significant their role is in particular in their families with their children, Lord. The ones that couldn't even be here today, I pray for the fathers that couldn't be here this morning. I lift them up to you, Lord God, and I pray that these prayers, there be no distance in them, and they be affected and infected by them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give it up one more time for our dads in the house. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yes, I am a father, a father of four beautiful children. Very grateful. All my children love Jesus, serve Jesus, and it's exciting to be able to say that. And I say that with, uh, with just humility and, and, and awe. So it's just awesome to be able to say that in today's world. Um, we're in a series. By the way, if you don't know who I am, um, I'm Papa D. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm Pastor D, and um, I'm the lead pastor of this church, and just so glad that you could be with us. If you're here for the first time, we're just kind of in a series, and this is the third part in our series, kind of just one at a time. We're looking at you know, kind of the whole process of discipleship. A lot of times in, in the church, we, we go through, we have these like ebbs and flows, and, and there's an intentionality to them where we're, we're reaching um, kind of out, and then there's other times where, okay, we need to hunker down and kind of equip and train and disciple. And so this is kind of a discipleship series, and we're looking at a lot of different things that relate to our growth and the process of growth as Christians because the big idea for this whole series has been success is taking us from where we are right now 
because we're all on a journey. How many know you're all on a journey? Life is motion. You're not just staying in one place. We don't just tread water in life. We're either moving forwards or backwards, which is kind of an interesting thought. I think sometimes we think we're just staying the same. You're not. You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards. So we have to be intentional in order to move forward. So success is taking us from where we are to where God actually wants us to be. And our theme text was that the Lord makes firm the steps of the one. Everybody say the one. Whose delight is in him. So if you want your steps to be firm, if you want them to be ordered of God, you know, uh, then you have to kind of focus on him, delight in him, desire him, want more of him in your life. And so in first week, we talked about love for one, which was all about the value of worship. If you didn't get that particular message, we just had a powerful service that particular day. It was just awesome, but it's all about worship. And then last week, we talked about following the one. You know, that, you know, before you can be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And what is followership all about? And we actually focused in specifically on a step in the followership process, which is salvation followed by water baptism. And uh, how many were here for our baby dedication water baptism service on Sunday night last week? I don't know how many, but there were a lot of people here last week. Um, We had... A lot of people get water baptized last week. It was just awesome to watch. Listen, in my Christian experience, I can remember there was a day when I would say in, you know, 15, 16 years, I might have seen one complete family get baptized. But at Connect, in your church, we're seeing whole families get baptized on a regular basis now. I think there were two full families that got water baptized last Sunday night. Many, many children gave their heart to Christ in, 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 in uh, Connect Kids downstairs that were baptized. Many adults. It was so awesome. And I think we had eight or nine families dedicate their children to the Lord uh, last week as well. It was an awesome. If you've never been to one of those, the baby dedication baptism services are just awesome and special. Can I have an amen out there? It was awesome. And we're going to continue talking about this whole kind of subject of, you know, one at a time. And I'm going to talk about leading someone, submitting to one, uh, giving to one, beware of the evil one. We may talk about that on a Sunday night. Uh, For those of you who are interested in the subject of spiritual warfare coming up pretty soon. But today I want to talk about living as one. Living is one. Everybody say living is one. So becoming one, you know, is so important. Becoming everything he wants us to be, it requires us to be able to live as one. The scripture says in Ephesians 4, 3, I think it's in your notes, to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit and and through the bond of peace. Um, I'll I'll try to, what I'm going to do is, and I usually do this, is I kind of have like, if you picture it a funnel, I'm going to start with a bunch of information, and it's going to just kind of begin to focus down and become very practical and strategic at the end. But I was thinking about a movie, and I'm not endorsing this movie, but there's aspects of this movie that uh, some of you, because this is Father's Day, so I had, to, I had to do this, but I was thinking about the movie 300, okay? Um, you, you know, it just, as soon as I said that, there was just like a shot of testosterone in people's blood of a certain persuasion in the room, and there was just, just kind of a, you know, manliness kind of comes out. But in the movie 300, there was this war that transpired between the Greeks uh, and the Persians. Specifically, not, not, when I say the Greeks, the Greeks were kind of an intellectual culture. They wanted to learn and, and, and receive more and more information that they could assimilate to kind of grow, you know, up here. But within, with inside the culture of the Greeks was a particular community known as the Spartans. And I can remember this one scene in the movie where, where Leonidas kicks this guy and he goes, this is Sparta, you know, and it was just awesome. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. It just, ah, it just makes me really excited and angry at the same time. And anyway, the, the, the Persians came to attack Greece, but they had to face 
basically the Spartans. And, and the king of Persia was Xerxes. He was kind of a self-appointed god king, um, very uh, you know, inflated, prideful person. And um, basically, he comes to attack these, these Greeks. And this community of, of Greeks, the Spartans, there are about seven to 8,000 of them at any given time. And they were all raised not to be intellectuals, but to be warriors. And they actually raised to be warriors from as early as seven years old. So if you can, those of you who have children, if you have a seven-year-old son, you would teach your son to, to, to fight at seven years old, hand-to-hand, close combat at a very, very early age. And, and that's how they lived, and that's all they did. Everybody, they didn't do anything else but train to be a warrior. Everybody else was just kind of a, they had slaves to do all the other work. It's how it was. It was a fierce and awesome people. And whenever there was a battle in Greece, you call the Spartans, you know, and, and they were just bad to the bone. You know, they, you called them to, to pull out a can of, you know, beat your butt. I'll just call it that. Okay, that's what you called them for, all right? And so they were incredibly also dedicated to one another. In other words, you can have a father in the front row, and you can have your son right behind you. you just everybody knew everybody. There, at any given time, there may only be a certain number of warriors in combat at a time because everybody else was training, so they sometimes be a small crew. But they lived as one. But there was no place that demonstrated their oneness, their unity, um, the ultimate expression of, of this oneness was demonstrated no other place more than in battle, in specifically in the formation of what they called the phalanx. And, 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 and you may not you know, know about this, but it's, it's kind of cool to me, but th- this, this phalanx was constructed of 64 men, uh, you know, in the front row, 64 men, 18 rows back. So you can just see them walking, and these guys were bad to the bone. I mean, mean dudes. And when attacked specifically by arrows or by like a physical charge, because everything back then in this particular time in war was hand-to-hand combat or just kind of on the ground infantry type stuff. They didn't have smart bombs and all that kind of stuff and missiles and things like that. But when attacked, they would come together. They would would all bend down kind of um, a thigh to, to shoulder, they would put their shields down like this, all in this tight formation. And, and the top of the, the shields, it all looked like the back of a snake. It was impenetrable. You couldn't get even, you know, a, a sword or a spear or an arrow through this phalanx as they were in formation. The formation was just, in, it was impenetrable to outside attack. And the secret to the attack was, was the unity that they had of each shoulder interdependently connected and protected by one another. They literally were one. Is everybody tracking with me? This formation, listen to the benefits, this formation in this particular attack against King Xerxes enabled 300 men in a particular area I wish I could remember what it was called, but it was just this channel that everybody had to go through that was carved out by the ocean. Uh, this, the, the largest Human army in the history of mankind up to that point, 250,000 soldiers came to attack Greece because they, they were known as being just fierce warriors, and so they just wanted to obliterate them. And they came to meet these 300 Spartans, and, uh, and they, were, they were, for a season, they were stopped. Thousands upon thousands of people stopped because of this impenetrable um, failings. This illustration is a similar picture to what I think God wants for his church. That's where I'm going. 
He wants us to live and breathe as one. He knows the secret to our success as a church universally and I would just say locally. I hope you can understand the distinction. Our own personal church, but the church of Jesus Christ as a whole is connected to us being one. Success, you know, this is a part of the discipleship process. Learning how to come together as a body, as a community, to be one, to learn how to protect each other. In my opinion, the church is God's army. Actually, Scripture refers to this in in different places in the New Testament. calls us soldiers. Did you know that? And so it, it has, but it has been for many centuries, the church decimated by division, by discord, by disunity, for literally for centuries, off and on. It's one of the greatest enemies and most successful strategies to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And so I think the subject's relevant. It may be a little heavy for some, a little heady for others, but I think it's relevant. Just to continue, and you can get your worship guides out because I will give you some notes in just a little bit, but you may have some bonus information. You just want to, you, as you're listening, that you want to write and, and, and or uh, research later. And I'm, I'm, I want to tell you a little bit about the history of the church first. And I don't normally do this, but I think this will be kind of interesting to some people. And I'm not going to go all the way back to the New Testament church like the book of Acts. Normally that would be the best place to start, would be somewhere with the early church and where, it had, where its formations began um, in, in the book of Acts specifically. For the sake of time, it's just good to know that there was explosive growth, uh, in particular post-resurrect, you know, post-resurrection, because a guy you know, said he was going to do this, he did do it, he rose from the dead, and man, the church just exploded. And it was amazing. But there were problems, and the Apostle Paul was kind of a, uh, a key leader, an instrumental leader, and we'll read some scripture that, 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 um, he, where he references some of the problems in the church, some of the divisions and, and some of the problems that were going on. And he appeals to the people on kind of how to work things through and how to make things go right. But, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit further, hundreds of years after the resurrection. It's kind of around the 10th century. And in this time, the church had gone, it kind of went from house to house and started going indoors. A lot of changes with that. I won't get into all that, but church used to be kind of more community. It did, have, it did have group meetings and celebrations, but it started going real indoors. There was a lot less community to it, and, and it also became more ritualistic. And in some cases, I believe it lost kind of its true identity in Christ, that it was based on a relationship and less religious more relationship, but it became more religious and liturgical. It was filled with formalism and tradition. Some cases, as a result, sometimes because it's a letter of the law, not a spirit of the law, because it's more religious and ritualistic, it becomes sometimes more poisoned, and sometimes there's more corruption and sin as a result. And so I'm taking you back to make a certain point that I believe affects our present world today, and the perception, listen to this, that the world has today about the church, locally and universally. What I'm telling you affects, I believe, what the world sees when they look at the church, which is supposed to be a light to the world, a salt and a light to the world. I think this affects that. Years ago, there were two huge churches, the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. They actually had this split in 1054. It was known as the Great Schism. And, and basically, it was just a huge debate over certain beliefs. It, there were various things that they debated about. Things that won't matter to many of you. You know, 
the use of unleavened bread, um, the things like the Pope's universal jurisdiction. You know, was he, this, this term some of you know, like the vicar of Christ. Did he, was he really the, vo- the voice of Christ? Did he have total authority based on a scripture where, where Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and Peter was the first Pope. And they have an interpretation about that that is different than what sometimes um, the Protestant Christian community believes. And so because of that, there was a bunch of debate about that. There was, there was debate um, about the source of the Holy Spirit and how they viewed the Holy Spirit. A whole bunch of stuff. Okay, And then about five, after the schism, about 500 years later, in all that turmoil, these leaders surfaced. One of them was Martin Luther. Many of you know who he is. That's where you get the Lutheran church. And some of you know Wycliffe. You know where he just, a lot of the influences that are affecting you as you sit here today were preceded by people like Martin Luther and Wycliffe. And basically the Protestant Reformation in the 1517, I think it was, began under these two guys. And they taught, they taught based on scripture. It was called sola scriptura. They basically believed that we're not going to support just what tradition says or man says or, 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 or what an appointed authority would say as if it was inspired or infallible. We're only going to support what the scripture says as inspired, infallible, and inerrant. And so we support what the scripture says. And the scripture says that salvation is not by works, it's by grace. Salvation says that you don't have to go through a priest, you are a priest. And so the whole idea of the priesthood of the believers surfaced under influence from these particular individuals. And, and other things that I could talk about this morning, but I won't. And so it was a big deal. And so the church split, and, and there was a lot of price to be paid for that to happen. And, and this protest is where we get the whole idea of Protestantism. Protestants come from this big protest, this big church. Is everybody tracking with me? Are we still awake? That's why i got to get all this stuff out before we pass out. Okay. So listen to this point as kind of I go forward. Since this split over, let's just say primarily scripture over tradition or scripture following God's word over following man's interpretation of God's word. Okay. That whole split that took place since that, um, 33,000 denominations have emerged. Today, we split over even more minor stuff than that. We split over all kinds of stuff, interpretations of Scripture, in particular practices of worship, and far less significant things than that, with a list basically too long to mention. I don't know about you, but when I, when I saw this, this kind of information, it sadness in my heart about it, first of all. Wow, a church divided. And, and when I think about Jesus' prayer in John 17, 11, Jesus prayed. He said, you know, I, I wish that they would be one like, like we're one. He's speaking about us, that we would be one like we are one. And, and now it's different. In many instances, we have a church that is far more concerned, you know, about, you know, what we're against than what we're for. And so we sometimes get sidetracked in all this. And we address what we're for and, and how to, how to kind of dem- deal with these problems in our spiritual formations class, our family class, uh, on the first Sunday of every month. We call it C101. Because the, the, the reason is no one really pays attention to a person, to an organization, and I'll put it in there, I'll insert there, a church that can't get along with themselves. Except for Entertainment if that makes sense to anybody out there. In other words, I submit to you that the world looks at us and they say, you're telling me I need what you have, but you can't get along with yourself. 
All right? Am I keeping it real this morning? Is everybody getting what I'm talking about? So here's the deal. Division, you can write this down. It's not a fill in the blank, but division destroys credibility. Division destroys credibility. I, I, and, and, and yet I think God thinks, listen, division destroys credibility, but I think diversity is divine. Division is diabolical. Diversity is actually supposed to be a strength within the body of Christ, and we've made it a weakness. We've said everybody has to be the same, think exactly the same, be on the same, you know, um, absolutely the same thing, like clone everybody. And yet, he has demonstrated, God has demonstrated in in his word, in his life on earth, and even in creation, or or the things that he even created, and I could, that, that diversity is divine. And I could show you tons of examples, but here's just one I couldn't resist. Uh, um, as, as two, this is a video I want to show you, as two very different characters come together. I was thinking about the last couple of weeks, and I thought you might need a little bit of a lev- levity to kind of just open things up. But here's, here's two people coming together talking about this idea of diversity. Check this out real quick. It's funny. The sky looks exactly the same. Everything else is so different, but it's the same sky, the same stars. So, this city of yours, it's like a nest? Oh, yeah, kind of. And the humans that live there are all brothers working together for the greatness of their colony? Well, not exactly. It's a little more like, you know, every man for himself. But that's so primitive. How does anything get done? Some people work together. Some? Why not all? I suppose it's because they're differences. But it's the differences that make a colony strong. Foragers, scouts, drones, nurses, regurgitators, all are different but an essential part of the whole. This is where we ants draw our strength. I don't know if you guys are, any of you are regurgitators. But you're important to God, okay? I just want you to know that. I felt it would, it, would, it, would be, it would be just unfair to not mention an ant in this morning's service, so I just had to put it in there. But what if, what if diversity was our strength? What if it was? You know, what, what, what is it that actually makes us stronger as we go forward? What, what could we celebrate as a church, you know, if, if we mind for those different, you know, differences in the body? One of the, one of the secrets to the power and pain of my marriage, specifically, has been learning how to celebrate the differences between Stacy and I, not compete over them. One of the biggest problems we had in our marriage when we were growing up was I thought we'd be happy if she was just like me. <laughs> What's interesting is she thought we'd be happy if I was just like her. But nothing could have been further from the truth. And so that same picture that we see between Husband and wife is the same picture that God wants to see between him and his church. He wants us to be one and learn how to celebrate the differences. Look at what he says. I don't know if this is in your notes, but Psalm 133.1 says, Yet how good and how pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. Then he goes on to say this in verse 2 and 3 of that particular chapter. Again, I think it's bonus. It says, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. And I won't unpack this because it's too lengthy. Running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. This is the part I want you to hear. For, the Lord, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. 
life forevermore. So the, God actually commands, he puts a blessing, he puts a certain favor on a people when they dwell together in unity. There's a, how many want like a, want God to come, I command a blessing on these people. How many would want something like that? All right. That comes because we are united, not divided. This refers to kind of a, a visible favor. It's like, it's, it's the strength. It's like the phalanx in 300. Nothing can stop a people who are united. Remember that old truth, they'll know we're Christians by our, they will know. See, it's visible. It's visible. I want that. You know, what unites us to connect, you know, is, 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 is our salvation. You know, um, we become brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united by our beliefs. You know, that, that we have the same bloodline. Turn your, turn your neighbor and say, you're my brother. You're my sister. Don't make sure you don't say sister to a brother and brother to a sister, okay? Just, it'll be, we'll have some identity crises in here, okay? All right? So our salvation unites us. Our, our, we, sometimes, we say things, our salvation, our statement, our strategy, our structure. Basically, it's our vision. It's basically how we do church. It's basically what we're up to. In, in all of this stuff, though, that I'm, that I'm mentioning, and I could do a whole thing on that. We sometimes do that in C101. I just want you to know, it's really, at the end of the day, it's less about beliefs. Those are important. And don't, don't, don't misinterpret. Don't minimize what I'm saying about what I'm going to say. But it's, it's less about the beliefs. It's less about strategy and structure and vision and all that kind of stuff. It's more about a culture that, that is cultivated um, and, and it is influenced and motivated by the Spirit of God on people's hearts. It's, it's hard to explain, but people have to want to be united to be united. People have to, to, for you to be in right standing with your spouse when you're not in right standing with your spouse, which you might be that, you might feel, there might be an icy force field between you and your spouse right now. There might be, there might be some problems between you and another person. For you to actually want to work that out, you can execute strategies, intellectual strategies that would work if it was right in here, but they won't work even if you're saying it right, thinking it right, doing exactly the way somebody told you to say it, if it's not right in here. It, it, these are things that have to come from people who want this, who have a heart for this, who desire to actually be united. Does that make sense? People want to be in right standing. They're going to be in right standing. And many can have the right answers. This is why you see that this is what the church has done. Church has a lot of answers, but they're not influencing anyone. See, because they're not, they're not united. And the, and the unity is not just around our salvation, our statement, our structure, our, you know, our purposes, our beliefs, all those kind of things. It's, 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 it has to do with a commanded blessing that comes when people are united. And we're going to talk about how to be united in just a little bit. And it needs a move of God on our hearts in order for there to be a, a move of God on the hearts of other people in the world. And the spirit of unity, you know, I think it, it, it is a spirit of unity, but I also think there's a spirit of disunity that's always opposing it, trying to come up against it. And we have to make every effort, as the Bible says, to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. Amen? Amen. And, and again, my conviction is you may not understand or agree with all these different things, but I believe it's like it's, it's the blessing of God, the favor of God. You could say the glory of God that unites us even more than our doctrine. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we go to a book, we want to go to a letter. Jesus is good doctrine. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of good doctrine. He, he, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the bread of life. He, he walked and lived, you know, 
uh, under the unction and influence of the Holy Spirit perfectly. He, he was truth. He knew truth. He, he released it and imparted it perfectly. Jesus was doctrine kind of modeled. He was just a kind of walking kind of curriculum, a living curriculum. We're called to be the same thing. We're called to be living epistles, living kind of like love letters for God. And, and, and in order to do that, that's why it's so important that we grow and, and decide. Worship, like there's, like there's like a relationship. And I'm throwing out a bunch of stuff because this is all stuff that's real kind of fresh. But but. And I hope it, hope it hits you right. But worship is like kind of like the oil. It's just think of a car. Worship's like the oil, and, and the word is, is, is like the gas. Excuse me, the works that we do for God are like the gas. The word is the engine. Okay? You need all of these things to be working in cooperation with you. You can't just have one without the other. Sometimes I just have the word. All I need is the word. No. No, you, 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 you need to do stuff with what you've been given. Faith without works is dead. You want to be hearers and doers. You have to have both. you got to be a doer. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me. But worship is like that lubricant that keeps us com- communing and connected, love with Jesus and love with his people, and experiencing the love of God, being able to give that away, and love with our omnipotent Father. Does that make sense to you guys out there? And so I was watching this whole thing, and I was just seeing how important the, 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 the favor of God, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit doing a work in our life. And I was watching this guy. I've been watching him a long time. His name is Kenneth Copeland. He's a faith teacher. And he had this particular bishop from the Catholic community, a charismatic bishop, speaking at his church. That was hmm, that's pretty interesting. I'm going to check this out. Shortly thereafter, um, they, this particular bishop had a personal address from the present current pope all right, of the Catholic church to Kenneth Copeland's church and the Christian community. Come on the screen. Pope Francis, I think, of Argentina. And um, basically, recently, he proclaimed that there was an agreement that, that, that came between the Lutheran and Catholic church, ending a feud that had been going on for centuries about the subject of justification. Basically, how does one get saved? Is it by works or is it by grace? Is it some kind of a combination? Whatever. And there's been a feud between the Lutherans and the Catholics for centuries. I don't know if that's significant to you, but it's significant to me because I understand why the two churches have been separated all these years. This is why there was a protest. This is why Martin Luther, the church was even reformed. This is why he did all that he did. Is everybody kind of catching up with what I'm saying, okay? And so the Pope gets up there and says, we've come to an agreement, all right, that it is faith and it is by grace that you are saved, that you were saved not by works, but for works, They signed an agreement between the Lutheran Church and the Roman Catholic Church agreeing on what we say is good doctrine regarding justification or salvation by grace, but that we're also called to do good works. Hundreds and hundreds of years, the protest is actually over. Most people don't know about it, but it's actually over. And listen to what happened. It was because there was a a born-again, spirit-filled bishop that in relationship with, with this particular pope before he became a pope. Then he was exalted to a pope. I think it was the first uh, 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 South American, whatever pope ever that was appointed to this particular, to, the, to this highest office. And he's a charismatic. He's a charismatic. I hope some of you guys know what that means. I mean, he believes in the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Our, the present pope. Okay? Everybody's just looking at me like, with, I don't know where he's going with all this. I, <laughs> The Lutherans and the Romans are, are in agreement. Interesting, though, that no Protestant evangelical at this point has signed this agreement. 
And, and, and here's why. It's because all kinds of things that keep us from this. It could be fear, propaganda, bad press, false doctrine, minor doctrine. I think most of the time, though, it's a spirit of disunity. It's a spirit of disunity. And, and, and so, so, so the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in his church. He wants to heal and restore. He wants it to be strong, and he wants it to be one universally. But I also believe he wants to do something locally. So I want to talk to you about some things that make us strong locally as a church. And let's focus on how to recognize and deal with it here. I went global with you just to make some points. But what are some of the signs? What are the steps to reconcile and keep peace? Because God's desire, again, is for his church to stay together. So I want to give you five enemies of unity that relate to us. Everybody say us. Things that we can do, if this is your home church, if you're a family, frequent flyer, or on the fringe, you all can get something out of this. If you're on the fringe and you're just kind of in and out, you know, like swallows in and out of a barn, as my dad would say, I encourage you for you to be protected, not restricted, for you to be healthy and whole, for you to find your purpose and significance. It's important to be a part of a community, a local church, an expression of the body of Christ. Really important for you. But there are different things that can happen in the church that actually may be why you're not. Maybe why you just check it out. Maybe why you stay in the fringe is because of some of these things that we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to discuss it from a negative point of view because I failed personally in my personal life, interpersonally with relationships. I failed as a leader in, in these kind of things. Professionally, I failed in this leader pastorally in different times. This, this message, what I'm going to talk about, it's kind of bathed in blood. A lot of mistakes in this particular area. And if we can eliminate these en enemies, we can have unity. Fight these, fight these, fight these enemies, and never stop, and we can be united. So anyway, the first enemy is poor communication. Everybody say poor communication. We say things without thinking all the time. We say things like, we say we say, we say, we say things we don't mean, but sometimes we really do mean them. We say stupid stuff. Do you, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you all say stupid stuff sometimes and you regret it afterwards? I mean, we're sometimes too quick to say certain things. In fact, we even have a phrase we say like, you know, real quick, real quick. Can I tell you something real quick? Can I tell you something real quick? Hey, can I just borrow your uh, phone real quick? You know what I mean? Can I just, you know, uh, talk to you just for a second real quick? And it's never real quick. It's like forever, right? <laughs> does anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes you, you like, you, 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 you're on the road, you're on a trip, and you pull over the side of the road, and you go in and, you know, use the bathroom. You say, hey, excuse me, can I just use your bathroom real quick? What if we were honest? <laughs> can I use your bathroom real long? Because I got some grumbling going on down here, and it, it could be a little while, you know what I'm saying? So I'm sorry. You know, but so <laughs> we, we just, we say things, and, and it messes things up. Bottom line, sometimes we're too quick. Sometimes we're not clear in our communication with each other. And what happens when the church has poor communication? What happens when in your ministry there's poor communication? What happens on your team or within your family when there's poor communication? Here's what happens. You can write this down. It stops progress. It stops progress. You're not moving forward. You're moving backward. When the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, there's going to be confusion. There's going to be all kinds of issues. You know what actually happens? I call it the sin of assumption. With a lack of sometimes clear communication, people fill in the blanks for themselves, and there's a default towards the negative. There's a natural default towards the negative. That's why it's so important to have clear communication in our relationships, and in particular, in our church. It, it, it's like that in sports. You see that, you know, if the ball is snapped, but there hasn't been clear communication, everybody's running in all different directions. I've seen people score touchdowns the opposite way and, you know, run down the other way to score, shoot a layup or something like that because nobody was clear on which way to go in the beginning. 
And so we have to clarify things. In the church, I realized this years ago and have to continue to get better and better at it as we go forward. Clarifying, what's the win of our church? We do this a lot of times on Sunday morning. You know what our win? Our win is to help people, you know, connect to God. You know, come back. On a Sunday morning, I can't teach everything on a Sunday morning. We can't do everything on a Sunday morning. We just want to, we want to do something that makes you want to come back because we know that if you, can, if you come back, we have a lifetime, and that's our, that's our commitment to help you grow spiritually. That's our win. Our win as a church, kind of big scale, is to help people find out what their purpose, the plan of God is in their life. We want to help people find a place, a role in the economy where you're making a difference. People want to make a difference. They want to be needed. They want to be known. That's what we want to help people do. John 17, 23 says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. People are drawn to that kind of unity. Unity is kind of how we change the world. Change the world. That's how you win games in sports is through unity. But sometimes you don't see that in the church. You know, in Genesis 11, some of you know this particular text. It's talking about this whole story of the Tower of Babel. How many of you ever heard of the Tower of Babel? All right. And they were all, in this particular time of the season, everybody in the earth spoke the same language. And man actually came to the realization that, you know, uh, they had a selfish ambition to kind of omit God from the equation, build the tower, and, 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 and they had a purpose as unto themselves. And God looked down and just said, just really nothing these people can't accomplish because they all have the same purpose. They have the same language. What if we could do something for God instead of for man? There's nothing... That, that can harm us, and there's nothing that can hurt us, but there's nothing that we can't do in the process. Here's the second enemy, the spirit of gossip. Everybody say gossip. gossip. Oh, he's going to go here. Gossip is degrading. Gossip can destroy a church. The, I, I believe this with all my heart. I believe gossip is, is like an evil spirit. It's an evil spirit. I believe it must be taken very seriously. And in our, you know, in our, we have a Christian school, Metro West Christian Academy. I used to run it years ago. My wife runs it now. And we would have staff sign a contract. Um, it's more like a covenant because it, it had a whole Christian foundation to it for working through differences. We had a conciliator ministry that, we, that people signed on. If there was a difference, we had to have a Christian process employed to resolve differences. It was pretty powerful, pretty awesome. But in our school, we also had like a zero tolerance for, for gossip. In fact, some, in some cases, it was a zero, kind of plus one. Like, you get kind of, explain it to you. If you do it once, you get, that's all you get. After that, you're fired. You're fired. Like, it was like major. Because we knew the success of our school was critical to there being discretion, not secrecy, to there, in order, there being unity, you know, not division. Does that make sense? And, you know, but we see it very different in the church today. I, I hear about it all, not all the time in our church, but I hear about it all, all the time in churches at large where people are, are ruined, whole, beautiful, you know, vision, incredible, you know, plan. God's doing amazing things, ruined by gossip. Proverbs 26 says this, when, when you run out of wood, the fire goes out. When the gossip ends, the quarrel which is basically a disagreement between two people who usually get along just fine, the quarrel dies down. So to, here's what we teach it kind of a connect. To maintain a healthy culture, we have to deal with these negatives. We have to deal with them. And so when, when there are negatives, things that, that happen, things that are wrong, things that aren't good. What do you do with those? Well, you really should never go down with them. 
When I say down, like, there's always, like, an organizational structure, okay? There's, like, in a family, there's a father and a mother. So rather than, rather than talk bad about your brother and sister, you need to get advice and counsel from your mom and dad about how to go back maybe sometimes and talk to your, father, talk to your brother or sister. Does that make sense? And there's, there's a familial context for the church. And so if, if there's any negatives to be addressed, usually you go to the person. If you don't know what to do about it, the only place you can go is not this way or this way. You go up. You go up. And, and what you go up to do is not dump it and leave it with them. You go up to get advice and counsel on how to deal with it, and then they're going to send you back down the line on how to work those situations out, equip you and train you on how to work that out. It's quiet in here. It's very, very quiet in here. Note to self. Here's what gossip is. Write this down. Gossip defined. It's when a negative is discussed with people that can't fix the problem. It's when a negative is discussed with people that can't fix the problem. Gossip is a spirit. Number three, unresolved disagreements. Unresolved disagreements. This is good teaching whether you guys are excited about it or not. Unresolved disagreements. This will help you in your life. This will help you in our church. This is so common. We just, we just kind of hope things will go away when there's a disagreement. How many know there's going to be disagreements? When two or more come together, there will be conflict. You know, Hezekiah 1.6. There's no... Anyway, you guys get that? Anyway. Okay, so... Matthew 18, 15 through 17, gives us a process for working through disagreements, all right? We're supposed to, Galatians 6 talks about this. If you see someone who's caught in sin, you're supposed to gently instruct them. Be careful, though, you don't fall in the same trap and the same sin yourself. But there's a process. You're supposed to go to the person directly. If you can't, you get a couple people with you. Should be solid people. You're not going to gang up. You're going to reconcile and show them what they can't see, help them see their blinds. But if that doesn't work, then you go to even higher level. You go to the church. You go to leadership for that. This process that's talked about in Matthew chapter 18, it is just simply not employed in the church anymore. People just completely ignore it. That's why we have so many problems. That's why when I say we, I don't mean connect. I just mean that's why there's so many problems in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our organizations, because we don't do what the Bible says. And we just kind of blow these things off. This often happens, sometimes this whole disagreement sometimes happens when the leader isn't aware um, because of other enemies. Sometimes, sometimes this, this, these disagreements come up because there's poor communication. Sometimes because there's, there, there, there's gossip. But most of the time, it's because we're avoiding um, a necessary confrontation. Most of the time, we know there's a problem. We're just not going to deal with it. Confrontation actually cleanses a wound. It allows, um, you know, for the parties to go forward in a spirit of unity. Listen to this thought, and I got this from a guy, an author. I can't remember his name right now, but when you have trust, conflict is the mere pursuit of truth. See, trust is so critical. So if there's an inherent trust, that's why it's so, this is a spiritual thing. Trust is given, all right? So when, when there's trust then the conflict is just, we're just working it out, trying to figure this whole thing out. It's got a foundation of trust. It's just the pursuit of truth. That's why the culture of a church is so important. The culture is like soil in a garden. It's, everything's going to grow if the soil's right, the, 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 the pH balance and all the different, whatever, all that. So I don't know what it all is in the soil, people who do soil stuff. There's a guy in our church, Jason. He may not be here this morning, but he knows all that stuff. He can pull up stuff and tell me all the you know, all the insects and what it's all about. But to make the, the soil healthy, we need to deal with the issues, and we need to do it in a biblical way. And sometimes when we're not doing this, we're really not wanting right standing. We're just, 
We're just, we're staying separate, we're staying divided. And I think, again, there's four steps to biblical conflict resolution, all right? I don't know if this is in your notes, I think it is. But the first one is conversation. I'll give them to you all at once. Conversation basically is when one goes to another, talks about the issue one-to-one. I think there's skill involved in how to do that. I think we have to be able to administer truth with, with love, you know. We have to have a lot of grace, full of grace, a little bit of salt. Sometimes we have all salt, no grace, no water. You know what I mean? We're just kind of, it's got, it. so for those encounters to be successful so that you don't have to go to the next step, you have to have the right spirit about it. Sometimes before you have a conversation with someone else, you have to have a conversation with yourself, Say, that's good, pastor. That's good, pastor. Okay, so a little talk back would be good. All right, conversation. The next step is mediation, all right? This is kind of taking Matthew 18 and putting, it, putting legs on it. Mediation. When things don't work out between you and that person, don't just bail out, give up, quit. Why? Because, listen, conflict is an assignment for Christians, not an accident. Because you're a Christian, you are called and equipped to, you actually given in 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that? All right, so mediation, you got to go work it out with somebody else, and you bring in a mediator. This is somebody usually that both parties trust. They're just there to referee. They're like a person with a black and white shirt on. They're not necessarily going to tell you what to do, how to do it. They're just going to make sure you both stay in the ring and don't quit. They're going to both make sure you stay civil. They're going to both make sure that you're administering, you know, the truth and love, that the interpretations were accurate. Hey, can you say that one more time? Can you mirror that back? Did you understand that? This, no, this is what I think he's saying. Is that right? Yep, okay, I can do that. That's what a mediator does. That make sense? The next level is an arbitrator, all right? It, this, is, this is kind of how we do it in the, this is how it should be done in the church. Some of you have never heard this, never been taught this. That's okay. But we actually do this at Connect sometimes. Actually, quite a bit, believe it or not. This is what an elder could be called in. This is what a pastor could be called in for, is to arbitrate. This is where both parties say, we can't work it out. We've, done, we've, con- we've c- conversated. We've had mediation. Now we're saying, we need you to listen to all this, and at the end of the day, call it. Call it. We give you authority to call it. You're fully resp- you're, we're giving you authority and responsibility. Most people will never do this. Most people. And so they'll be divided, and there'll be division. That's why. And so what if there was that kind of trust? What if there was that kind of trust? Now, for the person who actually accepts that kind of responsibility, that's a tremendous weight, okay? You know what's good about that? This is, this is the benefit of submission. This is stuff, you know, that, that you may not think about. It makes that person. I'm going to just put myself in that position because I've been in that position. I've been in that position where conversation didn't work, mediation didn't work, and I've been the arbitrator. It makes me get to God, because I'm going to be the one who makes the decision at the end of that. That's a big deal. They couldn't make it. They're blinded by subjectivity. There's so much emotion. There's confusion maybe. They're freaking out. They can't hear God. They don't know what to do. And so they need an arbitrator to make that kind of decision to resolve that whole thing. That makes that person who is not as connected to it connect better here. Make sense? It's the same thing that happens in families all the time if it's working, right? So you don't have to look at me like a cow at a new gate. This is what we do in family life all the time. I don't know what to do. Dad, make the decision. Mom, make the decision. It happens all the time. But we look at the church and go, huh? That's crazy. It's really not. And here's, if we don't do this, those three are good. Here's the next one, litigation. Litigation. So now we have to give up and we have to go to the world. And they work it out. And can I tell you something? It's way more painful and the outcomes are way worse when we go there than than the first three steps I just gave you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that Christians shouldn't sue one another. But they're doing it all the time because they don't employ these three steps. Hmm, boy, you didn't know what you were signing up for this morning. Number four, 
lack of shared purpose. Lack of shared purpose. This is another reason why sometimes there's disunity. Is anybody enjoying any of this at all? Okay. I know this is a little teachy this morning, but sometimes it's good to get taught some stuff. So what also causes disagreement sometimes is a lack of clarity, again, about the vision or the purpose of the church. Again, leadership is necessary for this. We need this in our family life. We need this in our marriages. We need this in our teams. If you're a director, if you're a small group leader, if, again, if you're a pastor. In other words, you need to give people a target. Here's what happens. It's like a bullseye. Everybody imagine a bullseye. I've got a big bullseye up here, and you all got bow and arrows out there, okay? Just don't shoot me. Shoot the target, okay? So... Yeah, I put a target up here. Everybody has leadership potential in them. And what happens is everybody starts shooting their ideas and shooting their thoughts, and, sh- and they want to do something, want to make a difference. But if I, I'm just going to say the guy who's holding the target, doesn't give a clear target, here's the target, and I keep moving the target around like this, then basically people are missing the mark. And you know what happens when you start missing the target, you're not hitting the target? People leave. People get confused. People, there's division. People start complaining, whining, and pining about all kinds of things. And that causes problems. So there has to be a clear, clear target. That way people's ideas have purpose. People's thoughts have purpose. People's plans have purpose and direction to them. Does that make sense? So, so our vision, for example, and we probably don't say it enough, but we say it quite a bit. Our vision is to connect people within our sphere of influence to God godly people in a godly place. We want them to find faith in Jesus Christ. We want them to find a spiritual family where they can feel connected, a sense of belonging. And we want to find friends that can change the course and trajectory of their life. That's our vision. What is our, how do we do that? We do it through four things. Weekend worship experiences. We do it through small groups, growth track, dream team. We just do four things. That's all we do. We talk about it all the time as a leadership, as a church. There you go. That's what we do. Someone said recently, you know, and I, I was preaching I think it was in the last serve, one of the series recently, and, and basically, um, you know, they were saying something like, you know, I've heard that before, I've heard that before. And, 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 and one of my leaders said, good, that means he's doing a good job if you've heard that before. Like, in other words, if you could repeat those things, yeah, I know, God, godly people in a godly place, or the four things, you know, we, should, we can worship, experience, small groups, growth, track, and dream team. I've heard that before, I've heard that before. Good, that means I'm doing a good job. Now, let me ask you this. If you don't know that, you need to know that. If you don't, if you do, if you have heard that, can you give it away? Can you teach somebody else? Can you put it in a conversation? Can you clearly communicate that vision? Because if you can, you're increasing the unity. If you can't, then it could be contributing sometimes to disunity. Does that make sense? Vision alignment calls for constant exposure, constant. And I'm going to spit, spew, spray it, say it until everybody gets it. And I realize I have to do that more and more. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Jesus Christ to live in harmony. Everybody say harmony. That means everybody's singing the same song, just different voicings. I got a capo here and a capo here on the guitar. For those of you who are musicians, you know, I'm playing this octave and you're playing that octave. I'm singing at this level and you're singing at that level. It's all the same song, just different voices. Voice sings, doing that. And then he says, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of Jesus Christ, live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And I do a whole thing on this and see one I won't do it this morning. But it's not enough just to have the same purpose. We have to think similarly. How we approach people. You know one, one way that our approach needs to be really um, in sync and united is how we approach people who don't believe like us. Who don't think like us. Why are we so surprised and shocked and upset when sinners sin? Just being, you know, are we so shocked when kids do something bad? When they're little kids? No, because they're, they're little sinners. They need to be trained up. 
disciplined and loved and disciplined and loved and disciplined. So sometimes we're just, we act, oh my gosh, I can't believe it acted like that. Oh my gosh, look at how she's dressed. Oh my gosh, I can't believe he just said that. What? Really? Oh boy, I got, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, People perish. It's so important to have clear, clear vision. Andy Stanley says this. He goes, sometimes people have a vision on the wall, but nothing's happening down the hall. So it just can't be words. It It has to be alive to us. Last point, the toughest one of all for me personally, number five, sanction misconduct, okay? I'm sorry, I don't know how to say that better, but just allowing misconduct, bad behavior to happen in the body, in the church, in the organization, in your family. I could apply it to a family. You know, I love my kids unconditionally. But there, I've said this all the time, but relationship has conditions. There are, you, if you can't do these things, I'm not going to permit it to continue. There, will be, there, there has to be some kind of repercussion for that. And leaders have to act when people are irresponsible, making independent decisions, incompetent, maybe not a team player, not being a good witness, not living a God, whatever it is. We have to be good about this. And I've, I've, I've let things go. I'm the long leash guy. And then, when I, then when I'm finally at the end of my rope, you know, I bring the hammer down too strong sometimes. All right? But, but just letting things go, letting things go, that creates a morale issue sometimes. In the, I'll just be honest with you. You know, we've had some disciplinary situations even in the last, you know, few years in this church. Very seldom, very few. But a lot of them, I'm just being honest with you, shouldn't have been tolerated as long as they were by me personally. And it affects unity within the body. And, and I'm learning it. I'm just saying honestly, I'm learning, I'm seeing things. You know, it actually, it's an actually comp- the complementary and celebrating the differences between my wife and I. My wife sees things. She has sometimes a more crystal, uh, objective judgment about something. And I'm sometimes blinded by mercy. I could do a whole thing on this, but sometimes our gifts, sanctified, work right. In other words, every gift that God gives you, maybe good judgment, mine could be mercy. Well, mercy has a weakness to it, too. Judgment has a weakness to it, too. When they work together, they're powerful. Does that make sense? Does everybody get what I'm saying? I'm going to do a whole series on that at some point. But, but it's really an issue sometimes when we allow those things to continue. Uh, and, and, and so sometimes there has to be some tough calls made, you know. And, and anyway, here's some closing thoughts. People love these values when you really look at them up close. I need you to apply them to yourself. I also need you to own them. In other words, all these things are not just my job. They're our job. To have unity in the church, this is not just my job. Everybody say it. It's our job. It's our job. Okay? To have unity takes constant effort. If we value these things, we should apply these things, practice these things. Listen, you have two choices with this kind of stuff. One is... We will go ahead and do these things. We'll employ these plans. We'll actually live these things that we're talking about. And I think you'll see amazing results. You'll see amazing results in your ministry, in your marriage, your business. We'll certainly see it in our church. Or we can decide we cannot, or really a better way to say it is we won't do that. And I think we're going to see continued pain, conflict, discord, disunity, division, all kinds of stuff. And, 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 And I encourage you to apply these things to your personal life, to apply these things to your family. In particular, apply this, as I speak to the church today, apply this to our church. Because there are problems. There are problems all the time. Our church is not perfect. This is the perfect church for imperfect people. Amen. We have problems all the time, okay? Does that, does that make you feel more comfortable or less comfortable? We have problems all the time in the church. We are in the problem-solving business. That's what we do. That's all I do every single day, literally. You say, what do I do between Sundays? Solve problems. 
That's it. Help people with problems. Honestly, day and night. Sometimes it is wearisome. Sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes I have to get away. Do you need to get away? Yep, I need to get away sometimes. Because I realize I have to work hard. Sometimes I have to play hard. Because it's draining sometimes, if I'm honest. Sometimes it sucks the life right out of me. But I have to go back to the source of life. I have to go back to what's it all about. I have to go back to these things and say, you know what? It's worth it. All these things that I'm talking about are a ton of work, a ton of effort. But it's worth it, all of it. It's all worth it. Every single bit of it, worth it. We can do this right, and we can do it, actually execute perfectly. And this may not be encouragement to some, but I just want to be honest with you. But you can still get your heart broken. You can still have something go wrong. Romans 12, 18 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, or as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. That means sometimes it's not possible. There's a two-letter word on the front that says if. So we're supposed to do everything. Listen, this is what you're supposed to do. I'm supposed to do. It's our job. We're supposed to do everything we can to live at peace with everybody. Okay? Especially in the church. The Bible says we're supposed to, in Galatians 6, 9, especially do good to the family of believers. We should be, people should look at us and just go, look at how they get along. Incredible. We've had this happen in our church. People have looked at our church and thought that. People come in and just like, I cannot believe how close, how friendly, how warm, all those kind of things. I'm just challenging you to go to a different level, another level. That's even more visible, where the commanded blessing comes on our church. I'm going to pray about that before we conclude. But sometimes it doesn't work out. I was thinking about this. I was fishing last week, very rare thing. And um, I was bad at it. The first day and a half, <laughs> pardon me, but I sucked at it. It was really bad. And I'm going out and, and fly fishing, okay? And I don't know what I'm doing. I'm snapping my wrist. And I'm not supposed to do that. And all these kind of things. And every time I turned around, I'm getting my line tied up in knots. Knot after knot after knot. And I had to turn to my guide and I had three guides. I burnt through three guides in <laughs> four days. No, we, we rotated. But I, that's what I told him. I said, oh, I get another one because they're sick of me, the last guy. But I had to keep going to him. Can you help me with this? Because I, I just couldn't. And they were so patient. And they would just, yeah, just, it's okay. No problem. No, this stuff happens. And I would just be like, ah, you know, I just wanted, I just couldn't stand it. I'd go for like five minutes, and I was done with these knots. I couldn't see my way through them. These guys were incredible, incredible, incredible. Well, anyway, one in, you know, every ten knots that I sent him, um, he'd just go, you know what? Um, this is just one of those where we just have to cut the line. We just have to cut the line. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. So... I think, it's, I, think, I think that's how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to do everything we can to try to untie those knots. Do everything we can. Spend time patiently, patiently, gently instructing, being patient, forbearing in other people's sin and grievances and issues and stuff like that. Patient, patient. Every now and then, and it is extremely rare, Romans 12, 18, every now and then, because of the human will, because of free will agency, people sometimes don't want to change. They don't want to be helped. They don't want their knots untied. Sometimes you have to cut the line. Sometimes you have to cut the line. It's tough. It hurts. It should hurt. It should hurt. If it doesn't hurt, you're doing it wrong. You don't get it. It should hurt. It's, but it's better to have tried. It's better to have gone through. It's better to have risked it. You know, it's better to have, to have loved than not have loved, you know, the whole phrase. So, and it's true. Some people are just idiots. I, I get it. Some, they are. Some people's parents are the cousins of those idiots. I don't know. They're just, it's crazy. But... If you and I can get, <laughs> if you and I can get 
more of us unified and committed to authentic biblical relationships, then the world will be changed because of a unified church. Can I have an amen out there? Sometimes we get our heart broken. We live in a, you know, a humpty dumpty generation. There's people that have fallen off the wall and just all broken in a bunch of pieces. And we have to help put people back together again. That's part of the church's job. So let me, let me, let me close with this. Why don't you close your eyes just so you can sit right where you are, okay? Let me pray for you. Be very, just be very still for a second because I think some of this stuff rattles some cages, so to speak. Some of you, it's, it's like, yes, 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 I needed this. This is good. Some of you, are just there's a resistance to it. There's a confrontation even to it. But underneath that, I think sometimes there's, there's pain. In other words, is your heart broken by someone or something? Something happened, you know? Maybe even, maybe even a church. Oh, I hope not, but I know it's possible. I just want to encourage you not to confuse that with God, that he loves you and he's not like him. He's not like her. He's not like them. He's not like that place. He's faithful. If we are unfaithful, the Bible says he remains faithful. He cannot deny who he is. But before we can be one with his church, we need to be one with Christ, and we got to get right with Christ before we can get right with his church. And so if you're here today and you've never gotten right with Christ, you're not one with him first, a lot of the things that your hurts and pains and problems that you're facing is because maybe you're not one with Christ. You've never invited Christ into your life, and you want to do that this morning? Would you raise your hand? You just know he's speaking to you, and you want to be right with God. You want to be one with God. You've never done that before. I'm not asking you if you have, but if you've never done that before. You don't know Jesus personally as your Lord and Savior. Is that you? Is there anybody out there that says that? Okay, God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. God bless you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you're here today, and, and you know that in some way, shape, or form, either in attitude or action, you have contributed to levels of disunity within your relationships, personally, and within your church. If you know that's you and you, you want to grow and you want to you contribute to unity, you want to contribute to the failings of the church, you want to be strong and you realize that there's some enemies that need to be fought and you, and you want the favor of God and the commanded blessing on your life so it can be on you and his church. If that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Pray for us. I, I'm going to raise my hand for that myself. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Now I'm going to pray for the ones, you can put your hand on the ones that just said, I need Jesus, you know, I want to be one with him before I can be one with his church. Would you as a church pray with me? And those two of you that said that prayer, raise, that, raise your hand, would you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to be one with you. I want to be in right standing with you. Before I can be in right standing with anyone else, I need to be right with you. Be my Lord today, my Savior. I receive by grace, the forgiveness of my sins, the past, the present, and the future. Save me right now by faith. And let me pray for everybody else. Father, in Jesus' name, for every person that's in this room, I pray for a commanded blessing to be on this church, that we be a church united. Literally, we think, we think of ourselves and we just think, you know, that's my family. That's, we're Sparta. We don't let a spirit of gossip and slander and division. We don't let any of these 
enemies come into our camp, we kick them out in the name of Jesus. I pray that you make us alert, watchful, mindful of the different ways that disunity and discord and division can come into the body. Lord, may we see this is not pastor's job or some leader's job. This is our job to fight these different enemies, God. I pray that we be people who live the Bible, that we actually apply it in our relationships, biblical authentic relationships in the church of Jesus Christ. Make us strong so that, Lord, we can, the people in the world will look at us and not laugh, will not be a mockery, Lord, but we will be a powerful message to the community in which we live. People will just literally see a visible, commanded blessing and favor on your church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 